Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Cats at night. Now here's John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at night. John Katsimatidis here. It's uh, what is it today? Wednesday? No, it's Thursday. 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 God, tomorrow's Friday. Right. And what do we say on Friday? TGIF. Well, you God work every Friday. single day, so that's yeah, fine. I, I lose track after yes. a while. And uh, <laughs> in, in the studio here with us, we have Judge Weinberg, Governor Patterson, and uh, Cox, and a new guest. We have A.J. Katzmatidis. Uh, she is a chairman of the Manhattan GOP and vice chairman of the state GOP. Is that correct, A.J.? That is. And my sidekick here, we have Lydia Serrani. And I understand there's some breaking news. That's correct. We have breaking news. WABC. From Dick Morris. So, Dick Morris, uh, tell us about this breaking news you have for us. Sure. Um, after, the, after the Georgia runoff, ABC TV's political desk published an exit poll of the people who had voted in the runoff election. And uh, it has a sample size of over 2,000 people. And ABC swears that it is a statistically valid sample of the people who voted in the Georgia runoff, um, which is everybody in the state. And um, in that poll, they asked people, who did you vote for for president in 2020? And 48% of that sample said Trump. And 43% said Biden. And so either that poll is wrong and ABC is wrong or Biden lost state and was stolen away from Trump. And who did this? ABC. ABC, the television network? Yeah, not you guys. ABC TV. Exit poll two years ago, right? That's what you're saying? No, no, the exit poll right now. The exit poll now, talking about what happened in 2020. Got it. Yeah. And and why did they do it? On Tuesday night. Why did they do it? Well, it's an exit poll. It's it's designed to find out who voted. For 2020? I mean, why why would they do it two years later? Because they put it in for a demographic so that they could see how the Biden people voted and the Trump people voted and stuff. And it's standard to do that. But uh, in which states did they do it in? Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. just Georgia. And, uh, and, and it uh, and it was an amazing finding. Uh, now, I don't know if they uh, if they are admitting this finding or not, but it's right there in the. And where did you where, where is this information from? They, they posted it. Yeah, absolutely. On ABC News. Uh, just Google uh, Georgia runoff poll. And you'll see it. The, the data comes up. Just Ed Cox, you're a Republican chair. What are the Republican chair for 10, 10 years in New York State? Uh, what say you? Well, it, it's an exit poll now with respect to something that happened two years ago. I mean, I don't remember what I had for so, breakfast yesterday. Yeah. Right. So how accurate. We didn't even know what day it was today when we started tonight. <laughs> yeah, but, but the, uh, 
exit polls should be accurate for what happened. And uh, and clearly, the I mean, it's a sample of the actual people who voted and voted for war, not by a small margin. You know what uh, they say, uh, Dick Morris? Case, sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. Okay, well, now, but since the, you're on the, the since you're on the uh, radio, and you got a million people listening from from the low from deep down Davy Jones' locker in the Bahamas all the way up to Canada, all the way up to Northern Europe right now, tell us, okay, yeah. tell us that uh, what happened in Georgia last week. Okay, well, the thing the exit poll showed is that the abortion issue was the key issue. Uh, they, in the poll, they asked people to name the number one most important issue to you. And 36% said inflation, and that broke heavily for Walker. Uh, but 26% said abortion. And uh, that was overwhelmingly it's a big number. Mm-hmm. Big number. More, for example, in third place was crime at, uh, uh, eight, at 13%, and then uh, gun well, gun violence at 10 and immigration at 6. So 26%, a quarter of the vote saying abortion was the most important issue. It was very important. Anybody have comments while, on it in the studio? The, I'm not surprised and, that abortion what, was a huge issue. What do you and, think, AJ? I'm and, not surprised. Well, let me go on. And while the um, while women, white women... I hate to say it this way. All it means is I'll go to bed with you, but I don't want to have your baby. Yeah, but let me give you more of the data. Among white voters in Georgia, 20% voted for Warnock. But among white college graduate women, 41% voted for Warnock. So you can see the huge impact of the abortion issue. And uh, the conventional wisdom has been that this was a referendum on the party, on Trump, on all kinds of stuff, but not that it was on abortion, and abortion was the key issue. Governor Dick, Patterson? It's, it's David Patterson. I was surprised that immigration was only 6%. Georgia's not that far yeah. away from uh, Alabama, and yeah. um, and it, it they're all not that far away from the border. The other finding that's important is that they asked people how much of an influence was Trump or Biden in the election. In other words, would your vote did you vote the way you did to support Trump, to oppose Trump? Or was Trump not a factor? And then they asked the same question about Biden. And the conventional wisdom the press is putting out is that this election was a rejection of Donald Trump. I think I think you're happened. pretty right there. I think uh, a lot of people, especially, you know, look, I'm friends with Donald Trump for 40 years. You're friends with Donald Trump forever, too. Yeah, but, and, and people are a little bit upset right what's going on right now. It showed that Trump had nothing to do with it. Really? Okay, I'm surprised to hear that. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, really? Of the voters. He's saying well, it was more about abortion than, I, uh, than it okay. had anything to okay. do with Trump. All due, all due respect, anybody who thinks this wasn't about Donald Trump is kidding themselves. Well, all I'm going to say is me, case sera, sera. Can I give you the data, guys? I want me to report the poll to you, then give yeah. me your opinion. But listen to the numbers. 54% of the voters said Trump was not a factor in their vote. Yeah. And other people that said he was a factor, 24% said it made them more likely to vote for Warnock because they didn't like Trump, and 19% more likely to vote for Walker because they did. But then when they asked the exact same question of Biden, only 41% said it was not a factor. 
and 20% said it impelled them to vote against Biden, for Biden, and 36% said it impelled them to vote Republican to send a message that they opposed Biden. So Trump was a four-point negative, and Biden was a 16-point negative. Wow. And 54% of the people said Trump had nothing to do with their vote, and uh, only 40% said Biden had nothing to do with their vote. So there are two pieces of conventional wisdom that this poll really rebuts. Dick Morris, we we got to go. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for the breaking news, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Great. And now we're going to our next guest, Brian Stetton. He is a senior advisor in Mayor Adams' administration for severe mental illness. He works with those in the administration, including leaders in New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. Of course, we want to talk about the major issue, the initiative that Mayor Adams announced where he wants to get homeless people that are in desperate need of help off the streets and into treatment. Welcome to Cats at Night, Brian Stetton. Thank you so much. So great to be with you all. Uh, I agreed 100% with what uh, Mayor Adams did. Uh, I mean, he has some opposition out there, but give us your position. Sure. Um, this is, plan is about compassion and care, uh, very simply. This is about the mayor's frustration that many of us in the administration share, that there are folks in our subway system, in our parks, in our streets, who are in acute psychiatric crisis, who desperately need care in, in, in the moment that we're observing them. Um, and uh, very often we encounter them and we interact with them through our mobile crisis teams or our police officers who are out there. And um, there is a perception sometimes among our, our city personnel that we are unable to help these individuals, that our hands are tied because of a misunderstanding of, of the legal standard. That is to say there are uh, some people who have the impression that the law does not allow us to assist somebody who is in psychiatric crisis and is refusing um, uh, voluntary suggestion to come to the hospital uh, for an evaluation unless that person is at that moment violent or suicidal or engaging in some outrageously dangerous conduct such as running into traffic such that they pose an imminent risk of harm. And while it's certainly true that those are factors that could lead to a finding that a person needs to um, be transported to a hospital for evaluation. It's also true that where it is apparent that person is experiencing symptoms of mental illness and those symptoms are causing the person to be a danger to themselves or others in the sense that they are unable to meet their basic survival needs of food, clothing, shelter, or medical care. We also have an opportunity and really, I think, a moral responsibility to get that person help even if they can't recognize their own need for it. And so the mayor's plan is really all about getting that information out to officers and mobile crisis teams to let them know that the law allows them to help. And we as a city expect uh, that we're going to get these folks help. That's what this is about. Governor Patterson, how do you feel about that? I think that it was a an excellent plan. I, I think you all did the, the right research. Uh, the history of of mental health illness goes all the way back to the 16th century when people thought it was witchcraft, and in other words, people who acted uh, in an uh, an unusual way were were guilty of witches. And somebody named Johann Weir was considered the father of psychiatry. He was trying to convince the public, no, there are ways 
that we can treat people that can help them recover. So throughout the centuries, this has been a back and forth sort of uh, battle. But in this particular case, I think you're really helping more people than you're hurting. It's not like the days of the 70s, like movies like One (laughs) Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and The Shrike, which really made mental hospitals uh, out to be uh, zones of danger for anyone that went in there. And they were right at the time. But this is a whole different era, Brian. Yeah, well, thank you, Governor. I certainly agree. And I mean, I would go further than to say that we're helping more people than we're hurting. I I think we're purely helping people. This is uh, really just about an opportunity to get somebody to a hospital for them to be evaluated by a medical professional and to see whether they have acute medical needs that, 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 that we can help deal with right at that moment. You know, it's a very sad fact that for um, psychotic disorders, it's not unusual for somebody to have a lack of insight. There's a a corollary of severe mental illness called anasognosia, in which a person is unaware of the fact that they have an illness. And that really explains why so many of these individuals who we see in this real desperate condition, no matter how painfully obvious it is to everybody around them that they need help, uh, are unable to see it themselves. And, and, And we're just not successful in getting them to come in voluntarily. And then it becomes a question of what can we do since we see what they won't or what they can't, I should say. I Um, I, I agree with you. This is John Katzmatidis. I agree with you 100%. A.J. Katzmatidis, you're you're vice chair of the New York State uh, uh, GOP. How do you feel about it? Well, I don't really think that this is a partisan issue. For a long time, the mentally ill population of our city has not been getting the help that they need. And I, frankly, and everybody that I've talked to is very, very happy about the mayor's move on this issue. And I think a lot of people are going to get the help they need. And it's going to be great for the safety of our city as well. So thank you. So make sure you tell the mayor, we all, both sides, the GOP, the Democrats, the Republicans, all thank them for, for doing the right thing and, and helping those people and taking them off the streets. Brian Staten, real quick question. What, is, what do you have to say to people that say, listen, you're talking about 2,800 psychiatric beds at hospitals in New York City. That's simply not enough. Do they have the staff in place, the security in place to help these people all while keeping everyone else safe as well that is, you know, in the hospital? Yeah, thank you for that question. And I think it's really important to understand that the idea that this is going to lead to an influx of lots more people coming into hospitals has really been overblown. The fact is, if we ignore these individuals when we identify them at this point of crisis and say, well, they're just not sick enough for us to do anything uh, for them right now, it is virtually inevitable that we will be seeing that person in a hospital bed soon enough because we're going to allow them to decompensate. They're going to get more ill and they're going to wind up engaging in behavior that either has them arrested and winding up in our forensic system, or they're going to act out in a way that everyone recognizes makes them a danger in a, in a much more obvious way. So um, we don't think this is a plan that is going to put any additional strain on our um, on our hospital system. But that said, we absolutely need more beds. And that's something we're working very closely uh, with Governor Hochul uh, to make happen. And with our federal partners, there's some federal laws that can be changed that would help us pay for inpatient psychiatric care a lot more. So that's work that's ongoing. Uh, it's not something that this particular plan is going to impinge on the way some have suggested. Well, thank you so much, Brian Stetton, for all that you do. Again, you are the senior advisor in the Mayor Adams administration for severe mental illness. And like AJ said, this should not be a partisan issue whatsoever. It should be an American issue, a New York issue. Thank you, sir. 
certainly. Thank you. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. I, I keep thinking back to the story we led with the show with Dick Morris. He said he had the breaking news regarding the ABC News exit poll. And Judge Weinberg, you brought up an excellent point. Well, he asked for special time. Yeah. And then he said he had breaking news, but I'm a little bit disappointed in what he said. What, do you, well, what did you say, Judge I'm Weinberg? Still, I'm still waiting for the breaking news. Right. He said it was an exit poll that was conducted now about how voters voted back in 2020. I, but, A.J., well, you brought up a good point. Why don't you do this? Uh, why don't you look at the, 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 the ABC website and see what the heck they did? A.J., what did you say? Well, she brought up a good point. It's not necessarily the same people, right, that maybe voted this and time. And how does this account for absentee ballots as well? Right. And the, other, the only thing that the polls seem to indicate is that the rejection of Biden was enough for the Republican to win, but unfortunately, the Republicans didn't have the right candidate. Well, and he said that that's for today's uh, the Georgia election today. And I think he was also trying to say the fact that Walker lost is not a referendum on Trump, but more so on abortion. That's what yeah. he was trying to say too, okay. according to the poll. Okay, let's go now to uh, General Jack Keane. He's a retired American four-star general, four, former vice chief of staff of the United States Army and Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient. Welcome back to Cats and Night, General Jack Keane. Oh, delighted to be here, as always. Jack, give us an update on, uh, on what the heck is going on with uh, Putin and uh, Ukraine. Well, what's, what's taking place is the ground is freezing now. Uh, in December, and mobile operations uh, will begin again. They've slowed down because of the mud and the rain, and they've got about two to three good months uh, where this war will continue. What the Russians are largely doing is defending. Um, they're trying to take a little bit more territory in the Donbass region, but they haven't done a very good job of that. And they're mobilized forces that... <clears throat> They bring it into the country. They're going to use them to stiffen that defense. And certainly what they really want to stop is uh, the Ukrainian counteroffensive, which has been successful in a number of places. The last one, of course, in Hershon City, where the Russians withdrew their forces to the other side of the river. So Zelensky is going to continue uh, his counteroffensive operation to take as much territory as he possibly can. And when we, when we talk about taking territory, so our audience really understands, that can be sort of an ambiguous term. But what he's really doing is liberating Ukrainians who are under Russian occupation inside of Ukraine, where they routinely rape Ukrainian women, their daughters, their sisters, their mothers. They're torturing men and killing them and putting them in mass graves. Hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians have been moved out of these occupied areas to Russia and tens of thousands of children. So Zelensky and his troops have real passion to liberate these occupied areas to get their people back. And that's really what's taken place. And certainly we're trying to help him in doing just that. We don't know how successful he's going to be, how much territory he's going to take back and how many people will be able to liberate. That's unknown at this time. But certainly, based on the progress he's made so far, he's obviously going to be able to make some more progress for sure. The uh, Putin, I think, made some statements uh, this morning or yesterday that um, 
uh, he's getting uh, a little bit antsy on uh, that uh, on nuclear weapons. What do you what, what say you? I don't think uh, the use of a nuclear weapon has ever been a serious issue for Mr. Putin. He's brandished it. He's had his surrogates do it. And then he's made a couple of statements that it not, never was his intent to use it. Uh, we've got President Xi, who, was, who came out with President Biden, condemning the use of a nuclear weapon inside of uh, Ukraine, which would clearly be a, a game changer for the world. Uh, and Putin would have far more to lose uh, using a nuclear weapon because that brings the United States and NATO into the war. And for sure that uh, he would be defeated as, as a result of that. So uh, what I think Putin, the other thing he said today, which was interesting, is that he admitted that this is a protracted war. Uh, and I think where Putin is really coming from, he's trying not to lose it because that is actually what's been happening on the ground. He's been losing. And that's why he's, he's attacking the Ukrainian people in their energy sector to try to take heat and water away from them to break their will because he can't defeat the Ukrainian military. He, he's tried multiple times to do it. And each time uh, they come up with a negative uh, result. And that's, I think, is going to continue. I believe at some point, when Zelensky and his troops can no longer retake territory and they they try to do it and they're not able to do it because the Russians may have been able to thicken their defenses, then you would likely see negotiations. But there's not going to be any negotiations until Zelensky has tried to retake all the territory in this country. That's what he's trying to do. That's what he wants to do. It's the thing that makes the, the most sense as far as I'm concerned. Uh, let's go. Uh, have you heard the, that uh, President uh, Xi from China uh, has been in, with Saudi Arabia and they closed $30 billion worth of deals? Have you heard anything about that? Yeah, and this has been in the works for some time. What, what President Xi and China is really attempting to do here is take advantage of the void that's being committed in the Middle East by this administration who's, who's backed away from the Arabs uh, somewhat in terms of the UAE and Saudi Arabia. And listen, so our audience understands, 62% of China's oil comes through the Middle East, comes through the Persian Gulf from those Arab states. So he wants this relationship for sure. And if he can take advantage of some of the United States missteps, he'll absolutely do it. He knows full well that if he went to war with the United States, something we don't want to happen, obviously. But if it did happen, one of the things we would likely do is shut down the flow of oil to China coming out of the Persian Gulf. We'd have our Navy do it. That would be a huge blow to him. So what he wants is a, is a very good relationship with the Arabs, and he likely wants uh, more military bases in the region. He's got one military base outside of China, and that's Djibouti. Um, and that's obviously very close to the Middle East, but he wants more. And he's had some negotiations with the UAE, preliminary negotiations on something like that. And this is as a result of him filling the void um, that the United States has caused it. Even when Biden visited Saudi Arabia a number of weeks ago, he actually admitted in public statements, but well, one of the reasons, uh, one of the purposes of this visit is to make certain that China and, and Russia 
are not taking our place in the Middle East. General Jack Queen, General Jack Keen, we're running out of time, but I have to ask you this question regarding the Brittany Griner prisoner swap. The United Arab Emirates president and Saudi crown prince, they released a statement saying they led the mediation efforts that secured the release of Griner in a prison prisoner swap with Russia. So we gave them that Victor Bout, who was the arms dealer. He was facing 25 years, tens of millions of dollars in weapon weaponry. He was planning on using against the United States for Griner. She was caught with a cannabis oil. President Biden has been saying that this is a huge success on his part. But now you have this statement that's been released that the UAE and the Saudi, they they actually led the negotiation on this and the mediation. What do you think about that? Well, I, I, I don't know. That's a fact. I mean, uh, we do know the administration is uh, that the exchange took place in the UAE and Saudi Arabia. There's been reports that they they have made may have used their influence with Russia as well. I think the United States will take whatever help they can get when you're dealing with uh, trying to make an exchange like this. And listen, so our audience understands these things are just by definition going to be lopsided. And why is that? Well, because the, the people that we have that get taken by an authoritarian regime, it's usually a fake charge or an exaggerated charge. And the people we're going to have to give up are all convicted criminals or terrorists or thugs or killers. Right. It's always going to be uh, lopsided. And that's what we're dealing with here. I mean... We certainly want wanted Griner back. We want Paul Whelan back as well. And these deals are, are very, very tough. That's thank for sure. Thank you, uh, General Keene, and thank you for everything you've done for our country. And we'll catch up with you again real soon. Okay, thank you. Thank you. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night Show. Now also in studio with us, and she is our next guest, is AJ Katzmatidis. She is the Manhattan GOP chair. She's also the vice chair of the state of New York. AJ Katzmatidis, you have a lot of issues that matter to a lot of New Yorkers. And again, you have made it very clear this is not a Republican issue or a Democrat issue. This is just a, an issue that should matter to everyone. So tell us uh, about what what's on your mind at this point. Absolutely. And I've heard from a number of people, residents are very alarmed about this. There is 18 5G towers being put up on the Upper East Side in three clusters. And these towers are being rammed through uh, under the radar. They're trying to get them up quickly as possible so that there is limited objection from people. And, you know, people are very nervous. There hasn't been studies done. We have no idea what these 5G towers do, if there's radiation or any other sorts of damage. And a lot of the members of the community are very concerned. Right. And these towers, they are 50 to 200 feet tall. Okay, so there's not if we're not just this isn't just like a little antenna. They're huge. And we don't know the side effects, especially for, like, say, a a baby, a baby sleeping in her in her crib or something like that. And they just threw them out there on the corner. And, you know, these this is a very population dense area. So, I mean, in my opinion, in the opinion of so many other residents I've heard from, they should at least study this before putting this, you know, in a test zone with so many people. And so why are they doing this? So what? For I, I understand that they haven't gone through the entire, uh, all the uh, 
Uh, regulatory approval. approval. Regulatory approval. What do you hear, uh, Judge Weinberg? Well, I, I understand a subcommittee of the community board is opposed. There's going to be a vote of the full community board coming up. Uh, this is being rushed through. As a, as a program, they're trying to rush it through. They're trying to rush it through. They're put them up too. as early as January. That's right. They're trying this to is, sneak it in. And not only do you have the health effects and the environmental effects, but you also have an enormous economic impact to the value of the, uh, the properties there and to the businesses in, on the Upper East Side. This is an idea that has to be slowed down. They have to do a real study before they do that. I had people at the meeting last night of this transportation committee, and they were saying, and this technology committee, they're saying very, very clearly that they oppose this. This has no community support. So it's a very big deal. Governor uh, Patterson? So, uh, AJ, the two regulatory agencies, the Department of Environmental Conservation, that's the state, and the Department of Environmental Protection is at the city. Do you have any idea if anyone's reached out to them or if they're looking at this? I know there was one tower that they put up without notifying the city and they reached out and have not even gotten a response back from the company. So, I mean, it just seems like they're trying to put this under the radar and I think it needs to be brought onto the radar. And not only that, there's a real question about whether these towers are even uh, capable of doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so they can cause damage without accomplishing I, I, results. I talked to one of our scientists that we talk to, we have him on all the time. Uh, he, he said, more invisible, high-energy assault to hit our unsuspecting DNA. Especially from 5G. And, and here's the other thing. New York City has an agreement with City Bridge, the team behind Link NYC that involves installing these towers, right? It's these 200-foot towers. Listen, it's all about money. There are 2,000 of them. care about our health. 2,000 of them. Now, my question to all of you is, so they're saying that 90% will be in underserved, underserved areas of the city, neighborhoods in the Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island. So, so a lot of these, the Upper East Side? So what? They're okay to kill? I, I mean, then why are they putting them in the Upper East Side then? Do you guys not have They're 5G on, on the Upper East Side? Up, up and down Madison Avenue, all the way up Madison Avenue. So you guys don't have 5G on Madison Avenue? I find that hard to believe. You know, Listen, come on, what's going on? I'd rather have a slower computer than having those uh, those things aimed at me. And who's going to and want to buy an apartment? AJ, before you were born, it used to be the, and still there, the Alpine Antenna. And nobody would want to live underneath the Alpine Antenna because it wasn't if, if you're going to get cancer, it's just a matter of when you're going to get cancer. Yeah. Now, the other issue is Lester Chang. Now, AJ, can you tell us who Lester Chang is and what is the controversy surrounding him? Because it seems like there's some election denying going on on the Democrat part over here. Yeah, I mean, this is a big issue. So Lester Chang won his seat for assembly in Brooklyn and the election's results have been certified. His opponent has conceded the race. But now the Democrat leadership in the New York State Assembly is trying to prevent him from being seated this January. And they're trying to challenge him on a residency technicality, which, frankly, uh, he is a resident of the district. And they had ample opportunity to challenge this they months leading it. up to the election. Yeah, well, they should have done it before the election. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, frankly, this seems like because they did it. After the election, they just didn't like the results of the election and they're overturning the will of the people. And we can't stand for this. We can't so, have this so happening. AJ, the yeah. Assembly Democratic Conference met yesterday. And my understanding was they were taking this issue up. Do, do you know what the result of that was? 
It seems from what I heard, because I had some meetings with them yesterday, that the Democrats are trying to challenge them on this technicality and trying to refuse to seat him in January. So if he doesn't get seated, then who wins or do they have to have another election? Well, if he doesn't get seated, there's, there's another special election. And what's so funny is by the time the special election comes around, he will have qualified right. anyway exactly and he'll win right. the special election. So there's I mean, if someone had raised at the appropriate time, he probably would not have been able to run. But that's history. And, you know. That's kind of like the 2020 election. Like John election. says, okay, Sarah, Sarah. And yeah. tell us about Lester Chang. He is, he's a great candidate. He's a great guy, right? Oh, absolutely. He's a great guy. He's a veteran, and he's worked really hard for his community. And he got elected on his merits from going door to door the old-fashioned way. And, you know, the residents wanted him, and they voted him in. And it was a Democratic election. And it's a shame and, frankly, scary, in my opinion, that they're trying to throw out the results of this election. Now, Brittany Griner, we talked about that a little bit before. Uh, do you guys think, like, who, do, who do I start with first? I'll start with AJ first. Do you think it was uh, an equal swap, this Victor Bout guy for Brittany Griner? It's never an equal swap. No, I mean, I'm happy that she was freed and released. I mean, of course we all are, but, you know, it's a very dangerous time to be releasing a arms dealer to Russia when Russia is invading Ukraine. And frankly, you know, I think it was a bad deal. Had Trump been in office, I think we would have gotten both out. We would have gotten Whalen, the U.S. Marine and Brittany. So I think we could have made a better deal there. What do you think, Judge Weinberg? I think AJ is absolutely right. I think this is a, a very bad deal for the United States. What this does, this is encourages despotic uh, regimes like like Russia or China or Iran to just grab somebody to trade. And uh, Governor Patterson? Well, uh, <laughs> the uh, 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 Paul uh, Whalen. Whalen, who he was taken in 2018, um, Trump wasn't able to get him out, and he had three years to do it. So it, I don't think this is about who the president is as much as it is that what the general said when he was on, General Keene is right, that the... Russians run a completely different system than we do, and they just think that uh, they can uh, grab somebody off the streets yeah. and then have something to trade. Well, why is this a good idea? I know. And they put- well, I jokingly said this morning, you know, to Sid, when, when Sid was talking about it, I said, they'll capture another American next week and start all over. Exactly right, John. And Ed Cox, what do you think about the fact that the UAE and the Saudi, according to Reuters, they released a statement saying they led the mediation with Putin and not, not President know, Biden? I don't know why they want to be in the middle of it. Biden is perfectly capable of talking with Putin's people, and they had their negotiating so I don't know what they did. They may have been helpful, which was fine. But this is this is a bad deal, and it's done for political purposes. She happens to be current in the paper, and it's, it's a woman, and she's a she woman gets, of color. She's uh, a lesbian, and and uh, and Biden will talk to her and gets back, and it'll be a big story. Meanwhile. This poor fellow has been in there, former Marine, uh, uh, unjustly seized by the Russians, has been there for four years. He's still sitting there in Russia. Right. They accuse him of being a spy. And we are going to be speaking with well, his brother. Well, we should capture a couple of, uh, of Russians and trade him. There we go. I like that. I, mean, I like that know, It should be a weekly trade. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have to laugh a little bit. Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night Show. A quick programming note. Jo- join us here at 77 WABC on Thursday, December 15th from 6 a.m. until noon as we team up with the Tunnel to Towers Foundation for our annual holiday radiothon. All of the money raised will bring hope to America's military and first responder heroes and their families this holiday season. Don't wait to donate. It's an amazing cause. Go to wabcradio.com backslash donate. And again, that's 6 a.m. starting December 15th. Sid Rosenberg will be hosting. Now on the line with us, Gordon G. Chang. When it comes to policy in China, no one knows more than he does. Welcome back to Cats and Night, Gordon Chang. Thank you so much, Lydia. Give us an update. What the heck is going on? Uh, we got thirty $30 billion deal today in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, uh, Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, uh, landed in Riyadh, um, was met by MBS, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, uh, the crown prince. Um, he got a really big uh, welcome. That's in contrast to the bare bones welcome that President Biden got this summer. And, and that's no coincidence. Um, the Saudi royal family is really pissed at the United States. Um, and you can understand why, because we've been supporting their enemies, Iran. Um, and uh, China came in with um, the prospect of all sorts of things that the Saudi family likes. And, and we really got to be concerned right now that we can lose our uh, longtime ally. Um, part of it is because, you know, we, we transition from perhaps the bed, best Mideast policy ever under President Trump to what looks like the worst under President Biden. And this is a time of uh, peril for the United States in the region. So, so Gordon, Ed Cox here. Did they did they bump this or did they shake hands? They shook hands. As opposed um, to Biden, yeah. they're just uh, the, the fist bump because he didn't want to be seen shaking hands with MBS. That was- right. And MBS actually didn't smile when um, they fisted bumped, uh, fist bumped uh, Biden. But there was a big royal welcome and a big smile for Xi Jinping. Sure. Is this Saudi Arabia playing uh, the Chinese against the Americans? Is that what it really amounts to? Yes, I think that that's exactly what's going on. Um, but also there's an understanding that American policy right now is erratic. And at least under Biden, it is um, pro-Iran, which at this point is um, just anathema to the Saudi royal family. And so we shouldn't be surprised that they are giving uh, the United States the cold shoulder. This is not to say we can't rescue this, but it is to say that Biden needs to really change his approach towards not only Saudi Arabia, but the six countries of the Gulf Cooperation Council. Sure. Wouldn't you be able to say that uh, it can be rescued? The basic strategic alliance is that if Iran were to attack their oil facilities, as they have in the past, we will respond to that. We will we will defend Saudi Arabia and the Chinese just are not in a position to do that now. So it's a situation that the underlying strategic realities is that uh, that it can be saved as long as yeah. Biden reacts in the right way. Gordon, it's, it's Richard Wong. What's the relationship between Iran and China? Um, China supports the Iranian regime. Um, so, for instance, there's a, a missile program there. There's a nuclear weapons program. China has both directly and indirectly supported it. Um, last year, they announced a $400 billion, 25-year strategic partnership. 
Now, many people will say that the Chinese make these big announcements and don't follow through. But the point is that um, the Iranian regime views Beijing as its primary sponsor. And that means that, um, you know, China's playing both sides of the fence, but it's getting away with it because American is, you know, we're just not there. Um, the, the other that's thing, the real problem. The other thing I heard, Gordon, uh, that Soros was pushing, that China should be the lead nation in N-O-W, uh, N-W-O. I had to look it up. New World Order. Yeah. So in other words, uh, we, if we have NATO, if we have the free world, they're going to have NWO. Well, they already have elements of NWO. So, for instance, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which some people call the anti-NATO. It's not really a formal military alliance, but it's shaping up to be one. And part of the new world order is going to be um, China and Russia. They're forming the core of a new axis. The Biden administration doesn't want to acknowledge it, but the point is that there is this Cold War, and we're not fighting it um, to the way we should because we're not even acknowledging it exists. Now, Gordon, uh, meanwhile, Xi is having problems at home. There are huge disturbances, uh, disturbances based on the fact that uh, of his lockdowns, that there was one case of COVID in a major city, they locked down the entire city. Uh, now he's changing that policy. Uh, what do you know about that? Yes, on Wednesday, the National Health Commission issued a 10-point plan, which essentially gets rid of the zero COVID policy. Um, China had to do this not only because of those extraordinary protests that followed the November 24th fire in Urumuchi, um, which triggered those demonstrations across the country, but also because I think localities which have to pay for the zero COVID uh, measures just have run out of money. And also, um, it's because the economy there is cratering. Uh, a couple of days ago, yesterday, we got the um, November trade numbers, which clearly show the Chinese economy is contracting. Um, exports were down 8.7%, but even more important, imports, which show domestic demand, they were down a stunning 10.6%. This is year-on-year numbers. Wow. It's a real indicator. China reports year-on-year. Um, um, so this is a real indication that the Chinese economy is failing. And um, there are other indications that that's the case. And China had to do something. If they didn't open up their economy, the country would just fall into a black hole. Well, thank you so much, Gordon G. Chang. And that's how everyone can follow you on Twitter for all the latest information. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. And let's find out how the economy is going. We have uh, uh, Steve Moore on now. Steve, tell us what's going on. Hi, guys. Uh, well, look, this is a precarious time for the U.S. economy. I mean, there's some parts of where there's really strength, and that's the labor market, uh, John. As you know, there's a, about 9 million job openings in this country, so that's good news for people who are looking for work. But you see so many other problems in the economy. The Fed is going to be raising interest rates again. That's going to cause real problems for the housing market, uh, which has already slowed down very considerably. Uh, I am worried about the amount of, by the way, that means higher mortgage rates, right, when the, when the Fed raises, uh, raises interest rates. Uh, you're also looking at record high amounts of debt by government, by individuals. They're ringing up their credit cards at a record pace. Uh, and so I'm not going to say that, uh, an in, uh, you know, a lot of economists are saying that a, a recession is baked in the cake. I don't believe that. I think we could still 
sidestep a recession next year, but we better get our house in order. We better start paying our bills. We better start cutting some government spending and getting some growth initiatives so we can get this economy uh, moving. We haven't grown very quickly. The you know, first nine months of the year, the economy grew at 0.08 percent, John. Steve, it's Ed Cox. Tell us about the U.S. government debt. Uh, I think you've done analysis of that, how it's getting yeah. completely out of control. Yeah, we. I had a piece in the uh, in the New York Post the other day where we estimated if you take all the government debt, which is in thirty three trillion dollars when you include the money that is owed to the Social Security system, and then you look at the state and local debt, that's six trillion. Then you look at consumer debt, that's almost twenty trillion. You add another ten to fifteen uh, trillion dollars in, in company debt, and you're looking at about sixty-eight trillion dollars of debt, which is three times our <laughs> gross national product. Now, I went Larry Kudlow. I know if Larry was on right now, he'd say, "Well, you know, debt. If you're if you're borrowing for something that's productive, I mean, when John started his business, I'm sure he had to borrow to you know to to build up the business. If you're borrowing to build roads or borrowing to you know for pro-growth tax cuts or borrowing to build up your uh, defenses against you know, enemy forces. Those are things that pay off, but we're not borrowing for that. We're borrowing for welfare payments. We're borrowing for, you know, uh, windmills and solar panels and, uh, you know, all of these things that really don't have much of a return. So I'm very worried about that. Uh, we, we just heard from Gordon Chang that the yeah. Chinese economy is in deep trouble because of lockdowns and other reasons. Yeah. Uh, uh, Xi, President Xi interfering with the business, putting the Communist Party more in yeah. control of businesses. And uh, the, the uh, what impact is uh, is a decline in the Chinese economy going to have on our economy? Well, look, I think China is an enemy of the United States right now. I think they are, you know, like Germany circa 1937. They're, they're building up their military. They're engaged in predatory, uh, you know, uh, economic uh, practices. They are, have no human rights uh, record. And so it, there's no freedom in China. Remember, we thought that China was moving towards freedom. They're moving away from freedom and more towards a communist system. So I think their system is in big trouble. Uh, but, you know, what I'm really concerned about is what we're doing here at home. Why aren't we building up our own energy here? Why aren't we using our own energy? Why aren't we, uh, you know, putting in practices that make our American businesses more competitive? You know, Biden wants more taxes, more regulation. Uh, and, and I think that's a, a real recipe for we, economic Steve, disaster. We all agree. When do everybody wake up like France and Germany has woken up and says nuclear energy is the way to go? Yeah. It's not it's not solar energy and wind energy. You're not going to run our country on solar and wind. We need to use it all, John. We need to use our, our, our nuclear, our oil, our gas, our coal, our hydropower. In some cases, you can win and win and solar. But Europe is we're a at, We're out of time. Steve, what do we all stand for? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and the American way. God bless America. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.